For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be made known and come to light as we embrace the void. If anyone was ever going to make it back from the void, I suppose it was going to be you. Oh, well, you know, one man's void is another man's piece of cake. What about the reality we left behind? What about the reality where Hitler cured cancer, Morty? The answer is don't think about it. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like they're people. Welcome, friends. Episode 207 of Embrace the Void, where the storm is always coming. I'm your host, Aaron, and this week we're checking in with the fastest growing cult in American politics. So let's make some drops. Life ends in death, which we as a species are cursed with knowing, resulting in something. My guest this week is Travis View, a fellow conspiracism tracker and co-host of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. Travis, would you like to say hi to the void? Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. I really enjoy your show. And, you know, I think this continues to be a a rolling disaster for our society. So I'm excited to dig into it some. Yeah, yeah. I just, um, yeah, when you combine, you know, fevered imaginings and the sort of the amplifying power of the Internet, we sort of seeing what uh, what happens when those uh, two toxic things sort of uh, combine. Yeah, I do really enjoy the opening of y'all's um, theme song where it's the line about, I found the internet, boy, I'm sorry. It really does kind of capture the essence of the the radicalization process that we're seeing for like the boomer generation in particular, I think, amidst all of this stuff. Yeah, you know, in the heart of, um, you know, it, at the core of every cynic is a brokenhearted optimist. And I think this mm-hmm. that really comes from a place of like a lot of people, myself included, had such high hopes for the power and potential of the internet to the mm-hmm. point that we only saw, you know, the upsides. It would bring people together. It would bring down cultural walls. It would make the world more peaceful, We people really, really thought. And it, would, it had a lot of, you know, interesting effects. But I don't know. I think people really, they underestimated how damaging this mm-hmm. kind of hyper-connectivity could be. Yeah, it certainly brought people together and certainly brought down some walls. Uh, not all in ways that we might necessarily have wanted. So yeah, let's let's talk about that some. So your show is primarily about QAnon, which at this point I think has sufficiently high name recognition thanks to people like the QAnon shaman and his friends that I think probably most people have some vague idea about what uh, QAnon is. Well, let me, let me first ask you this, right? What's your background personally that gets you to having a podcast about QAnon and, and then we'll um, we'll talk about the the cult itself a little bit. So, yeah, I suppose there are a few elements of my my background that made me interested in QAnon. Uh, the mm-hmm. first of which is simply sort of a an amateur interest in uh creationism and intelligent mm-hmm. design. 
you know, back in the early 2000s when this, this sort of intelligent design movement was ascendant, really. It was uh, sort of gaining some steam, influencing legislatures even. Mm-hmm. I, I was really interested in the ways in which uh, this this uh, small group of people who were able to basically work to push a, push nonsense into into people's minds through these bizarre arguments and the mm-hmm. way that they are trying to force the mainstreaming of fringe pseudo scientific ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I followed followed that case very very closely because it was just sort of baffling to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I, I really appreciate, you know, the tradition of skepticism and, you know, scientific empiricism. And I think that it's such a you know remarkable gift <laughs> that uh, we're able to note things about ourselves and our past and the world we live in through through the hard work of uh, and diligent work of scientists through the through the course of generations. And it was strange to me that so many people were are willing to dismiss all of that knowledge because mm-hmm. they they prefer some bizarre alternative explanation Mm -hmm. and so um and so i kind of recognize the kind of like pseudo scientific pseudo sort of like you know do your own research as they call it ethos of QAnon, uh uh, from my days uh researching creative uh creationism Mm -hmm. and uh, what also made me interested in QAnon was my background, my professional background as a digital marketer. I worked, you know, doing uh, lots of like, you know, social media marketing, uh, content strategy, SEO, mm-hmm. this kinds of stuff for for corporations. And so that made me re- uh, recognize a couple things. Number one, the the ways in which people who are sort of running the sort of the QAnon scam or other sort of conspiracy scams use sort of manipulative language to build an audience and keep them engaged and stuff. It's uh, it's really, you know, not, not that far away from a, what, you know, a legitimate business might do. Mm-hmm. And um, also made me recognize the ways in which these kinds of ideas can sort of go viral and spread and catch on in uh, on social media. And so that mm-hmm. kind of uh, those two interests sort of combined. And I, I the first time I really, really got interested in QAnon is that I, I kind of recognized it. I, re, I read about it a little bit in early 2018. But, mm-hmm. you know, I thought, it was, you know, it just it was a fringe HN thing. Didn't really worth that much consideration. What changed for me is when I saw Charlie Kirk, who is a, a pretty mainstream conservative pundit you know he Mm -hmm. speaks on campuses all over the country he met with uh president trump he appears on fox news very frequently he is not a fringe figure Uh, he started promoting some bogus statistics that originated with QAnon, uh, specifically love basically what happened was that a bunch of anons on 8chan's q research board they compiled they compiled some stats about um uh, human trafficking arrests, which mm-hmm. were totally bogus and basically really bad data. But somehow this bad data that started with QAnon got all the way up to Charlie Kirk's 400,000 Twitter followers. Mm-hmm. That made me realize that this kind of phenomenon wasn't staying in the bowels of the internet anymore. It was creeping up into mainstream discourse and mainstream social media networks. That uh, that really caught my attention, and that made me sort of mm-hmm. uh, decide to track it more closely. With mm-hmm. the delusional belief that you know, if I maybe <laughs> if I uh, brought enough attention to it, then someone with a lot more influence and power and um, um, sort of resources than <laughs> I do would do Kirk. something about it. Yeah, <laughs> would would, uh, would recognize that this is that these kinds of beliefs are deranged and um, have no place in mainstream discourse. I suppose what what part of what gave me hope was 
uh, my experience tracking intelligent design creationism, uh, what what really put a stop to the sort of creeping um, uh, sort of the teaching of intelligent design in schools was a 2005 court case called Kitz Miller versus Dover, mm-hmm. which basically ruled that intelligent design was creationism. Therefore, it could not be taught in public schools. And that was more or less the death keel of intelligent mm-hmm. design um, as as a as a serious movement. And so, you know, we, I had this sort of uh, this this knowledge that, well, these kinds of deranged beliefs, they can, if, if there are enough smart people really work towards it, putting a stop to them, they can be stopped in their tracks. Mm-hmm. That just didn't happen with QAnon. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there, I think. A lot of like threads that I'm particularly concerned about. So um, I, I think there's an interesting connection about the like not just the f- sort of strategies of creationism versus QAnon, but also the actual groups of people that were promoting one and are likely to some extent more likely to be connected to the other. Um, but also I think what you're saying there about the way that the media ecosystem, this, the digital right-wing media ecosystem is, is particularly nerve-wracking to me right now because it seems like it is incredibly easy for any bit of like misinformation or um, moral panic or conspiracy theory to escalate so quickly in those environments because there's just so many people like Charlie Kirk who are sort of thirsting for this content and thirsting for having like the next scoop on these sorts of things that, um, you know, so I've been following a lot the the conversation around the critical race theory crt moral panic stuff um which i don't know if you're aware is primarily pushed by a guy named chris rufo who uh was part of the discovery institute so there's this direct connection to the creationist uh um you know teach the controversy stuff um right there um i'm curious to like how much do you see cross-pollination between like the QAnon kinds of narratives and the other kinds of moral panics like the CRT stuff that gain traction in the right wing? Does it all just kind of flood into each other in these ways? I mean, I suppose the the common thread is this kind of uh, Christian dominionism, hmm. which is mm-hmm. this sort of this just general belief that 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 Christian ideals um, have a rightful place in all American institutions and, and therefore mm-hmm. is a noble and holy, pr- uh, project to push in these sort of Christian ideas in education and, uh, and, and business and government and wherever you can, and they, sp- uh, they really put a focus on, uh, sort of public schools cause they believe that these are, you know, secular places that are turning out, uh, um, right. uh, Democrats. And, um, as a consequence, they need to, uh, sort of replace whatever is being taught there with uh, more Christian ideals. So that's, that's sort of the, the general common thread, but, um, yeah, we, we mm-hmm. do talk about how like these kinds of CRT moral panic is, is, is being pushed by, you know, a, a former, I think a current or former fellow at the Discovery Institute, Chris Rufo, like you mentioned, which is also where the big push for intelligent design came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, what's really interesting at the difference is that intelligent design creationism, I mean, it, it tried to put on sort of a respectable face. Mm-hmm. It took a few, you know, a few academics, you know, there are a couple people who are very well educated, a couple of lawyers, people who were put on suits and they went and they were knew, knew how to work a camera and they were um, willing to make themselves known in sort of a more conventional way. Whereas, whereas QAnon, you know, they didn't at, at their, at its inception, it didn't mm-hmm. have, it didn't really pretend to 
try to be respectable. It started on 4chan poll for God's sake. Right. It's it's a troll. <laughs> it's a troll mentality as opposed to like that. It's you know it is that again taking after Trump. Right. It's the kind of like countercultural pushback to the respectability politics. It's the like we think right wing respectability politics has failed because you are complicit in like this evil plot by these people who are overthrowing the like you said the Christian Dominion. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I suppose that's that's the difference. It says like, okay, well, it was like it's it's not even going to pretend that uh, there is this this sort of faith in sort of young earth creation or intelligent design creationism. Um, so that was actually laid out in uh, this this leaked document called the the wedge strategy, where they th- mm-hmm. sort of believed that um, they could sort of use they could sort of very slowly take over the institutions by um, by first introducing these ideas and they thought that their ideas would be so powerful that they would have uh, no that the institutions academic institutions and the media would have no choice but to adopt them and promote them mm-hmm. whereas like you know whereas like I suppose you're right this is a little bit more troll you know fu- you know, basically fuck the mainstream fuck it fuck it fuck everything that's uh fuck everything about wearing a suit mm-hmm. we're just gonna say that all Democrats are part of a satanic blood drinking cabal and and all the msm in all of academia and like all almost all of government is hopelessly compromised so screw it all we're sort of can create a sort of an alternate totally alternative uh media ecosystem and totally alternative i would argue you know reality mm-hmm. and sort of put th- and push that as hard as we possibly can yeah and so you give a sense there of like what this is for the people who are in well, I think people on the outside generally have the impression that it's some sort of like extreme cult of personality relating to folks like Donald Trump and such. Um, but what would you say the current the current state of QAnon is? What has it evolved to in the present moment, especially with sort of. Uh, as far as I understand it, the absence of Q, right? It seems like Q has not had a drop in a long time and pro- might not be having one again. Um, so how do you see like this this cult evolving in the absence of of their sort of dear leader? Yeah. So, I mean, what we really see a lot is that QAnon followers, they sort of, they still push the general QAnon worldview and mm-hmm. QAnon ideas but they they tr- they tend to shy away from the QAnon label. This isn't a universal one. This is sort of a I guess a diverse community. Um but but you know the, this can be best sort of exemplified in a late Q drop in two th- 2020 which mm-hmm. said um there is no QAnon, there's Q and there are the anons. And um mm-hmm. and this was obviously I think an attempt to sort of evade a lot of social media algorithms that which were banning QAnon related content at the time. Mm-hmm. Um and and that's sort of that's sort of like what's happening, I guess, in real in real real sort of life is that there is sort of this awareness that um that uh that the QAnon sort of labeling has become kind of toxic. And so they're trying uh sort of like alternate ways. Sometimes they'll just, you know, push general QAnon conspiratorial nonsense about, you know, uh, about anti-vaccination or, um, or, you know, they, they election fraud or whatever without the QAnon label. Um, or sometimes they'll say, uh, you know, save, save the children was a popular one and the continued continues to be a popular one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, last year they were nationwide save the children rallies and in, in many cities in which people, uh, held signs that said, save the children, but also, where we go one, we go all, you know, I, mm-hmm. I attended a, a couple of them and I heard where we go one, we go all chance. 
um, which is the, you know, the popular sure. QAnon slogan. Uh, so, you know, so this is a, you know, it's a, it's a rebranding, you know, it's the, so the, what I, what I see is that, which makes it, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more difficult to detect by mm-hmm. casuals or observers or the media, which is, you know, by design. Yeah. And I was going to, I'm curious about how that impacts your work, right? So it seems like you have to then shift from just being like, here's a list of the people doing QAnon stuff and the QAnon stuff they're doing to like, and we have to like be looking at these groups that are no longer using this terminology and building a case that these are still people doing QAnon stuff. Do you feel like that's challenging? Do you feel like that that puts you in a weird position where people then turn around and are like, oh, now you're you're getting caught up in your own conspiracism because you're like seeing QAnon everywhere when it's not actually there anymore? Do you deal with that kind of stuff? Or how do you how do you wrestle with this evolution from the tracking perspective? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is this is a really uh sort of difficult thing. And I whenever I I try to give honestly, I try to give people as much benefit of the doubt as possible when they produce something that sounds um, uh, QAnon-like, I might say, mm-hmm. well, this is sort of promoting sort of classic conspiratorial tropes, but it's not necessarily QAnon. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and uh, I mean, I'll give you one example that's sort of that's sort of um, challenging. Uh, when I was sort of when I was tracking uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is uh, famously a uh, member of Congress, mm-hmm. who uh, at one point promoted <laughs> QAnon very heavily for over a year, uh, mm-hmm. I was. Um, I I saw, I spotted one tweet that just said um, 5347, 5347. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, now that doesn't sound like much to most casual observers. That doesn't seem very threatening. But unless you know, there happens to be a Q drop that also said 5347. And um, what she was specifically referring to was was um, was like a, a Q drop that a lot of people retconned into being the uh, sort of a prediction about the composition, the political composition of the Senate. Because uh-huh. after right. the, after the after the um, the uh, 2018 election, the uh, the the um, the election was uh, sorry, they there were uh, sorry, 53 uh, Republicans and 43 and the 47 uh, Democrats and independents. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, so a lot of people tried to make this to uh, pretend that this was a kind of prediction about, you know, what would happen. So, so I have to like, yeah, right. So I have to construct a case basically. You're right. And it does. Mm-hmm. It, and, and I have to like do it in a way that makes me not sound crazy, but um, <laughs> yeah, I try to be as cautious as I can. And I try to like give the benefit of the doubt. And I make a distinction between theories that are, just broadly conspiratorial that have a, a tradition going back back perhaps decades or centuries and 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 ideas that are specifically uh, come from QAnon. And I'm curious as this sort of QAnon conspiracism DNA sort of balkanizes and mutates and and like gets absorbed into all these other different woo groups and things like that. Does do you think it is still important to say this thing is QAnon versus not or is it like more about like is it just valuable to see how these individuals in this this community who got pulled together around this particular conspiracy then migrated in different places and maybe come back together at some point in just like in terms of tracking broadly speaking or is there like is there something really important in being able to say you know the the crt moral panic is actually QAnon or something like that um yeah i think 
I think it's important to make the you know distinction just because, um, you know, I think QAnon was a unique, uh, highly popular conspiratorial movement, um, but I think it's also important uh, to put it in uh, context. And it's not mm-hmm. not pretend as if as if as if you know uh, American political discourse was. Con- consisted merely of policy disputes until QAnon came along. And this is the only source of our sort of uh, conspiratorial ideology. Mm-hmm, uh, no, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like QAnon sort of situates within a broader sort of, you know, um, uh, conspiracism in Amer- American political discourse, which is which has always been with us. And it's always troubling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I think it's important to make a distinction, but it's also important to keep in mind that uh, conspiracism can be dangerous even if it's not QAnon. I mean, mm-hmm. I would argue that that QAnon is not the deadliest uh, uh, conspiracism in the United States. I mean, I'd probably give that title to uh, Great Replacement Theory, which mm. is this white supremacist idea that uh, essentially that Jews are plotting to replace all the white people with brown foreigners. Well, yeah. um, and so this this particular idea has mm-hmm. inspired multiple um, mass casualty events, mass shootings. There hasn't been a sort of, there, there have been multiple sort of events, very, very dangerous incidents and uh, deadly incidents involving QAnon. Mm-hmm. But there hasn't been a sort of a mass shooting involving QAnon. That's not the case with uh, uh, great replacement theory. It's interesting that you make that distinction because I wanted to also talk to you about the fact that QAnon itself is an evolution of the like really significant anti-Semitic conspiracy theory of blood libel. Maybe you could explain that a little bit, but also like, do you feel that QAnon as a conspiracy is, I guess, I guess it, it isn't at its core great replacement, but it seems to me so interconnected with the same ideas about you know the risk to like you said christian dominionism to me it's white christian dominionism that is the most you know important thing in the in the minds of these individuals and so you already you do have that like great replacement element do you see that come out in the QAnon literature as well or in the way they talk about these things you know the thing is is that um i you know i won't deny there's a there's a you know a really strong element of um of um you know christian i guess sort of uh, whiteness and sort of uh anti-semitism and sort of white supremacist ideology dna within QAnon. Mm-hmm. however they often uh at least attempt <laughs> to sort of put on the face of pluralism and multiculturalism um one of the one of the uh which makes it distinct from uh like great replacement or um hmm. or uh or these sorts of ideas which consider you know uh multiculturalism a jewish plot um so the um I mean, one good example is that one of the most popular sort of early videos that radicalized people in the QAnon back in 2018 was by this QAnon promoter called Joe M, who also went by storm is upon us. It was called The Plan to Save the World. And mm-hmm. it depicted people of all races and it, and it talked about how Muslims and Muslims and uh, and uh, Jews and, and Christians all coming together in peace. And so it, it, at the very least, uh, I was paid lip service to this to this idea of you know of people with different backgrounds different ideologies coming together in a sort of sort of a peaceful way so i mean i i would make i would make that kind of distinction but while Mm -hmm. at the same time not denying that underneath it's basically just 21st century protocols of the elders of zion do you have any sense of why 
they are so like committed to I mean like do you feel like maybe the at rank and file QAnoner is just very unaware about the blood libel connection and the idea of like the history of you know Jews being seen as stealing human you know other you know Gentile children and that like so they don't understand that they're promoting a particularly virulently racist conspiracy in that way or do you feel like they are somewhat aware of that and they don't want to appear too forward about it and that there's more of like a calculated approach to not to like the, the multiculturalism or they like they genuinely think they are a truly multicultural save the children organization that is attacking jews but not because the jews are, are like promoting multiculturalism but because they're stealing babies right yeah no yeah i, I mean i think that they really do think that um they are part of a of a of a movement that's going to the, they're part of the tip of the spear of a movement that's going to lead to world peace. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, I think they are generally unaware. In fact, I mean, the thing is, is that like out and out neo-Nazis recognize that, that QAnon, you know, the sort of like the ways in which the QAnon ideas are simpatico with their own. And they try to use the QAnon sort of, uh, uh group as sort of a recruitment sort of grounds. Mm -hmm. We can see this back, back in, uh, in, well, I used to track uh, Q research very, very closely on every single sort of new thread. What happens that was that basically on 8chan and 8Q, and there was this thread full of what they called research, which was you know a bunch of nonsense. But there was there was somebody there who basically pushed a sort of anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, a post full of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories on mm -hmm. every single thread. Mm -hmm. So it was seen, it was known to the point that a lot of the people there were were complaining that. They actually, they actually said that it was actually they claimed that it was me making that post in an attempt to <laughs> make them look bad because uh -huh. they, you're, you're and, false and, flagging uh, their forums. I understand uh, exactly. I'm false flagging. I'm trying to make their movement mm -hmm. seem anti-Semitic by posting anti-Semitic propaganda on on the Q Research Board. About how and much so, per hour do the Jews pay you to do that work? I'm curious. <laughs> is it like I mean, my DMs are open. I I've made an offer to George Soros. He has not hit me up quite yet. You gotta get that um, open society money. It's worth yeah, that. exactly. But um, uh, yeah, you know the yeah. I mean, it, I think that like really, uh, yeah. I think that I think there is a way to sort of. Um, <laughs> I think QAnon is sort of like a way to sort of resolve the cognitive dissonance to people who perhaps are really attracted to this, this sort of these anti-Semitic ideals, but mm -hmm. know on some level that it's really bad and shameful to openly promote. Uh -huh. And so it, and so it's able to camouflage the sort of, sort of the, the, again, the protocols of the elders of Zion in a way that's palatable to them. Right. It still gives you the feeling of, you know, the world is just, but there are unjust actors who have conspired against the just and the just are going to yeah. like it allows you to sort of continue to reproduce um, that narrative. Now, you raise an interesting question for me because you're talking about like the way that the neo-Nazis kind of um, farm off of the like QAnon groups. Right. You're, there's like there's kind of like a spectrum of radicalization. And I feel like everybody is trying to like pick at the group that is along the spectrum from them just enough and try to like pull them along in like the next step of like the conspiracy spiral here. I'm curious, do you see like the QAnon folks in turn, like what, what groups are they trying to feed on? Where are they trying to pull sort of market share at this point? 
Oh, I mean, they're trying to pull from mainstream MAGA. You know, they're ger- generally people who um, who mm-hmm. who are very sort of a, the populist right, right? Mm-hmm. The Tea Partiers. You know, the people who 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 really really like Trump and really like that he was sticking it to the establishment. You know, and um, and that really is sort of sort of the next step. You know, mm-hmm. so it wasn't just that. You know, they the basic narratives like it wasn't just that you know Trump pulled off this magnificent uh, sort of upset against the devil herself Hillary Clinton it's that Trump is saving the world uh, from all these awful pedophiles and mm-hmm. also the mainstream media is in on it that's why they're attacking him so much and also um Hillary Clinton he didn't just defeat Hillary Clinton electorally he's going to finally after sort of um he's going to finally lock her up and if you've been if you've been listening to like Rush Limbaugh for decades you've been made to believe that Hillary Clinton has been offing people left and right sure and that part of her as uh, part of her quest for power then yeah these ideas can be very attractive to you and where where are we up to in that narrative? Like, uh, do we have a new date on when people are going to start getting mass arrested? Are people still trying to predict things at all? Or as like, has the sort of large story arc of QAnon kind of stalled a little bit? You know, yeah, you know, I, I think that I think that really I think we're entering the stage of where QAnon followers are um, are cultivating a sort of a culture of cognitive dissonance reduction. And mm-hmm. um, this, this, this phrase comes from one of my favorite sort of studies on cognitive dissonance it called, um, called uh, 15 years of failed prophecy, which hmm. examined this sort of this small cult in Montana that basically examined uh, basically, okay, if there's this cult and they, they, they made several predictions over the course of 15 years of the impending apocalypse, how do the followers cope? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and the, the question is, is that, is that over time they, they, you know, they stop, they still believe, but they stop basically, um, they do what they call, uh, sort of like, uh, they explain why you shouldn't get attached to dates before the date passes. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so they still, and so they, they still create dates occasionally, you know, there was, there was most, most recently the, uh, the belief that this was promoted by L- Mike Lindell. Uh, that uh, that Trump would be ushered back into office this month in August that we're mm-hmm. recording here, mm-hmm. um, and so of course that is looking less and less likely that that's going to happen. But of course, they'll just continue kicking the can down the road. You know, uh, it's like it's like any other apocalyptic movement. It's a it's it's as you know as pre- as predictable as uh, you know anything else in human nature. Is that mm-hmm. uh, you know all these people who are very who are very very invested in the movement they're invested in the culture they're invested in the belief they're not really invested in any deadline so much so they'll mm-hmm. continue to believe regardless of the dates do you have a general sense at all about like is the energy of these groups is it gaining momentum or like losing momentum do you feel like they're kind of that they are sort of shedding energy a little bit as they're going along here? Or do you feel like they're still managing to pull in a decent churn of, of new members from the broader MAGA sphere? Uh, you know, I think, I think that it seems like they, it was, they did lose a lot of energy. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's really, really tough, you know, to reconcile everything you believed about, you know, Trump, um, sort of winning everything and and coming back when obviously Trump isn't in office. He's sort of sending out uh, angry press releases from uh, from Florida now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that, that was, a, that was a big blow. I haven't seen, for example, Joe M who, uh, who at one point was, uh, was a super fervent, uh, QAnon follower, mm-hmm. but at the same time, uh, I think it's also important to note that, um, that uh, QAnon followers, the, the, those that remain, are still extremely active and are doing a lot of like in-person events. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw this recently in Dallas with the, what they call the Patriot Roundup, which was the, the biggest uh, QAnon conference ever. Mm-hmm. Um, the, they had sold tickets at $500 a head. It was a full room full of people. And it was three days long. It is a far cry from the very first QAnon sort of event I attended back in 2019, mm-hmm. which had like, I think maybe 80 people. And so the biggest sort of in-person QAnon events are happening after the QAnon, after the Q drops have stopped. Interesting. Um, and the, the people who organized that Dallas event are organizing another event, uh, another three-day event that that were tickets are also unbelievably expensive mm-hmm. in October. Mm-hmm. So they're still organizing. They're still, uh, they're still active. Um, they're still trying to sort of gain sort of energy for their movement. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that uh, sort of like the, it, the online part of the movement has taken a bit of a blow uh, ever since number one, Trump got out of office and number two um, had all ev- basically every social media uh, platform has cracked down on QAnon content in mm-hmm. the wake of the events of January 6th. Yeah. And you, like you said, these things could really sort of go either way where like, you know, with a cult, when the dear leader dies or disappears, it can, it can burn out or, you know, it can just sort of mutate and turn into and like stick around in various other kinds of ways. So you could yeah. see it kind of going either way, um, here now, another thing that I've talked about with other sort of trackers is the interesting dichotomy between like the online conspiracism world and the like brick and mortar, the classic model, right? The, up until 10, 15 years ago, the model that was dominant, which was people joining in-person cults where they are at compounds or, you know, are, are some way geographically connected enough to like feel invested in that community on a regular basis. And I'm curious, do you think it's possible because one of the concerns that I think or one of the like possibilities that we saw was that like the digital stuff, while it has the possibility to get big really fast, also doesn't have a lot of staying power in terms of community, especially if it's experiencing sort of bans and crackdowns and that sort of thing. Do you expect to see a kind of potential retrenchment of QAnon back into like brick and mortar communities, like where these people have found enough people like near them physically that it's going to turn into. Cause I know, for example, y'all went to a um, undercover to a meeting recently um, that sort of had this vibe of like, you know, trying to keep a community going, even though it is more of like this kind of smaller uh, social event. Do you see that as kind of potentially the future of QAnon, like back into like the churches and back into the neighborhoods in this way? Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, I mean, yeah, there are a couple things going on. Yeah. I do think that like, you know, they will st- still continue to see themselves as basically rebels and outliers and they'll, uh, you know, they'll, they'll post on telegram, for example, even though, uh, you know, they're not able to post on more mainstream social networks like Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they'll, they'll, they'll continue to find community in these sort of these, these in-person events, which mm-hmm. again, we've seen, uh, a lot of, uh, and, 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 uh, get, like I said, they're getting, they're not just, not just more of them that they're getting bigger and getting more spectacular and getting better funded. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, so I think that, you know, maybe, you know, QAnon, again, it's very difficult to predict the future for these sorts of things, but it might be that sort of what we've seen is sort of the decline of sort of the online part of QAnon, and we're sort of seeing the ascendancy of the IRL uh, sort of evolution of QAnon, uh, QAnon-like ideas. Mm-hmm. So you were at that uh, undercover in-person meetup, and something I noticed as I was listening to y'all talking about that is it seemed like there was a lot of overlap with like wellness woo kind of stuff, the kind of conspirituality um, side of these sorts of things. And I was it was interesting when I asked you about like what groups is QAnon preying on, and you mostly said MAGA, but I, I also wonder, do you feel like they're making successful inroads in like various alternative wellness communities? And what does that actually mean for the kind of political makeup of QAnon? Is it still do you feel like going to remain you know, 95% hardcore right wing or are you seeing a blending in of some like left wing um, wellness woo types as well? Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is something we've been talking about um, on the podcast for years. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. there's definitely a strain of new age QAnon and also mm-hmm. they are. They are pro-Trump and right-wing, and they are. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very bizarre to see these, uh, these, these women, you know, and wearing, you know, wearing different stones and uh, having perhaps having dreadlocks, uh, who are doing yoga and talking about the coming military crackdowns. Um, <laughs> but uh, I can picture but, it. Uh, I, doesn't, I mean, it's not too far from some of the people I know. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, there's. I know there's. There's this general belief i guess you know what really connects i guess that is sort of this general belief that that uh you know the there's something profoundly profoundly wrong with the world mm-hmm. and um and uh, we are going to enter into a new age and this you know if you are perhaps a sort of i guess traditional maga sort of um uh head you might you might think this new age is sort of looks a lot like the uh christian dominionist uh sort of ver- version of the world whereas mm-hmm. if you are attracted to maybe uh the the new age sort of wing of QAnon, you may think this is sort of 5d ascension where uh everyone's a little bit more enlightened and uh sort of these <laughs> they see themselves as you know the light bringers who will help usher in uh the rest of us sheep Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, it's really more of a longing for a very sudden, profound societal change in which mm-hmm. everything is different and they happen to have the insight to see that it was coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is, this hits close to home for me as well, because I feel like I was raised, I'm not like very wooey, but certainly raised in a like very lefty, anti-authoritarian, commie, you know, like I am sympathetic to Discordianism and y'all did an episode on Discordianism where like, I think y'all did a great job talking about like the, the costs, the potential risks, the way that like the Discordian guys themselves played a role in propagating the kind of conspiratorial thinking that we are now in in the grips of and dealing with in a non-fun kind of way um and this this is very hard for me and i, I gather it's probably challenging for y'all too as as also i think anti-authoritarian types in your own ways that like how do you how do you deal with like enjoying and consuming the content of like the discordians or philip k dick or people like this who have this kind of 
um, you know, uh, Bill Hicksy kind of view of the world that that is like the world is kind of fucked up in a bunch of ways, and and like we rightly should be pissed off and pushing back on that. Um, and then like, how do you not end up sort of sliding into those same QAnon places from that as well? Yeah, it's really it's really difficult. You know, I guess you know when I was really um, when I was interested my sort of intelligent design creationism phase i was really mm-hmm. interested in like i said um skepticism and mm-hmm. sort of like you know um you know i was studying you know epistemology and i was like oh here's sort of these sort of these these frameworks we can work with to discern what is true and what is not without having to rely upon authority or without having to rely on tradition and this allows us to sort of like you know break through uh you know uh tr- you know common mainstream ways of thinking, but still in a rigorous way and still kind of like a mm-hmm. grounded way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what happens often is that people notice that, well, what's mainstream, what's common, what's normal, it's really fucked up. So I'm going to say, I'm just going to reject all of that out of hand. Mm-hmm. And like, and then, and then I'm just going to go off my own direction. That could look, look like weird new age things that could look like QAnon. It could look like a different ways, but the, the sort of the unifying principle is like, whatever is normal and mainstream is wrong, and I I I don't think that's really a healthy approach. I think that you can say, okay, I can be I can be skeptical of the agenda of the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. I can say sometimes they say th- some things are um, right, and sometimes they say sometimes they say things are that are wrong, but that has no correlation to whether or not they're saying it. I can mm-hmm. be, for example, uh, curious why you know a, a case like why why did like a case like the Epstein story? Why did that have to be? really broken by julie k brown a reporter mm-hmm. at the miami herald and not like why was not why this is a fascinating story that involves uh, power and abuse and a lot of like famous people why wasn't it broken mm-hmm. by like you know washington post why was like why wasn't every single reporter all over this you know this incredible story of corruption you can be skeptical mm-hmm. of the, about the motives of the mainstream media without spinning off into these wild conspiratorial uh fantasies i mean mm-hmm. it's like i don't know um you're right it is it's really really difficult and i think that you know i i would really wish i know i wish i wish a lot of these q followers maybe if they could benefit from a like you know a couple couple uh epistemology classes you know study mm-hmm. hume a little bit or something just so <laughs> that they can find a way to like find a way that there are ways to sort of grapple with what is true and what is not that is sort of outside of what the authorities say or what the media says or what the government says i think that's a healthy way to approach you know uh life but in not in sort of a knee-jerk way but like in mm-hmm. a cautious sort of systematic way do you see, I mean, as as Q, you know, maybe potentially fades some, do you see your mandate for QAnon Anonymous as kind of broadening out to that kind of healthy skepticism towards like various kinds of, um, you know, excessive or problematic forms of skepticism in that way? And like, where do you think your journey may be taking y'all um, in terms of uh, content? Yeah, I think I mean what I like to promote is a as a kind of like uh humane skepticism, which mm-hmm. which is sort of like um is sympathetic to why people uh believe these things. So it's sympathetic to why people are frustrated with uh, the the mainstream is it, without um without sort of like giving credence to their wild silly beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we this is why this is why, you know, we like I said, we've like 
we've done epi- we've done multiple eps- episodes on like the Epstein case and like Ghislaine Maxwell, and um, because it's like okay, yeah, it's like you, it's like you, it's like you guys are pretty right. Here's a horrifying story of a corruption and abuse that was underreported by the mainstream media. I'll give you that. But mm-hmm. but we can look at the evidence. We can look at we can look at documents. We can look at really solid reporting that was done. We can sort of look at the case in a way that's sort of um, within the realms of reality without spinning off into the belief that, as some QAnon followers believe, there are multiple layers underneath uh, Epstein Island in which children were eaten. Like, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like that's, that's, that's unnecessary. Uh, or mm-hmm. they will do, for example, they'll blame innocent people. One, one example is uh, there's a, there's a woman named uh, Rachel Chandler who is often baselessly accused of being associated with the Epstein story. This was de- debunked by Julie K. Brown herself. So you can't, you can sort of stay within the realm of what is known and what is true and still be outraged by it, still demand accountability, still say that this is a, uh, a stain on like the way this, the elite club sort of plays and sort of uh the way that they are they can abuse people without uh uh with with impunity Mm -hmm. uh and not not spiral out and um i don't know i feel like there's like there's there's some sort of like middle ground there you know Mm -hmm. even when we talked about um we had an episode on um adrenochrome which is again Mm -hmm. based upon anti-semitic blood libel but we gave them well you know what there are some silicon valley elites like Peter Thiel, for example, who are trying to remain <laughs> uh-huh. young by using the blood of the young. I, uh, so, <laughs> so, Very so even Peter that, Thiel. even as stupid and wild as that, you know, there's a little grain of truth. There's something to be outraged a, a, uh, about that sort of plays within that realm. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. I mean, the thing is that it's, it's very frustrating to me, uh, you know, talking about these conspiracy theories because, you know, conspiracies are real. Conspiracies drive history. If you define conspiracies as powerful people plotting to, you know, consolidate their power, right. um, you know, um, and so that's uh, that's uh, that's 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 a normal thing that you should, you know, the, the rest of us schlubs should be uh, aware of. Mm-hmm. Um and so, and so, there's really, it's really not necessary to spin out into these wild fantasies. That you can, mm-hmm. you can stay within the realms of uh, recorded history. You can stay within the realms of empiricism and still be outraged at corruption. Mm-hmm. And you can also, I think, understand and be compassionate for people who read about the history of genuine conspiracies and like the actual fucked up shit people have done and don't have a hard time and you know like have an easy time sliding from that into the the like out there kind of stuff i I like that you mentioned you know the kind of humane um skepticism i the the original reason we got together to chat was um i had written this piece about sort of conspiracy tracking and epistemic poverty tourism and the kind of concern that in doing the kind of work that we do, there's always a risk that you, you know, it turns into kind of gawking at people who've had a bad run of epistemic luck and are in a bad kind of way, no, knowing that we ourselves could have been in that place too if things had gone um, poorly for us. And especially as I was listening to your um, undercover episode, because y'all wore wires, right? And y'all went into the space and recorded people and played audio of people. And I assume. I assume you you cleared that with your legal and it was a situation where you were illegally allowed to record people and whatnot. But like, did you did you ever as you were doing that wrestle with the sort of ethical aspects of like which clips you're going to play and like how you're going to discuss those clips so that it wasn't just kind of like dunking on these poor souls? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we don't we don't play, you know, uh, everything that we record. We only mm-hmm. even play the most outrageous things that we record. If someone says something to us, it was like, oh, oh, it was like, this is something that's obviously very personal that this person mm-hmm. told me because they thought that this was a private conversation. Then that kind of stuff, obviously, that that doesn't make it to the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. mean, and so. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we are, I know we're, we're I really think of it kind of like um, on the spectrum uh, mm-hmm. a bit, you know, uh, um, in terms of like, I guess the sort of the, the ethics of, of sort of documenting the fringe of humanity, you know, sort of like on the most, on most relevant and the most ethical, I would, you know, uh, I would use it as an example, sort of uh, Leon Fessinger's classic uh, study of cognitive dissonance in which he sort of went to a UFO cult called the Finders mm-hmm. to witness what happened when their predictions didn't happen. And this was the point of Leon Fessinger's study wasn't to say, oh, look at these weirdos, look at these freaks. It was like, oh, look at these people and look mm-hmm. how they're reacting to a prediction because they're humans and they behave as humans do. So let's take this case to learn about ourselves and the rest of humanity and everyone. Mm-hmm. And um, that's and I suppose and on the other side of the scale, you might have, you know, P.T. Barnum, who mm-hmm. like, you know, who puts on who puts on freaks uh, uh, to say to, for the titillation of his audience. You know, right. um, um, I think that I think that um, I, I wouldn't say I'm not going to sit here and claim we are quite as academic or as rigorous as Lee and Fessinger. But I think we're probably somewhere in between Fessinger and Barnum. <laughs> uh-huh. And, um, you know, and I, I think that we, we try we try to sort of um, we try we try to to be aware that the point of like talking about these topics or uh, studying what these people believe um, is to make a wider point about mm-hmm. about about the society, humanity, ourselves, about culture, about you know uh, you know why people believe the things that they do. You know there has to be a bigger reason about why we're uh, sort of putting these these kinds of topics under the microscope under the microscope other mm-hmm. than pure titillation. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And one of the ones that I'm I'm curious about your thoughts. You know, one thing that really worries me is the kind of escalatory rhetoric with these kind of conspiracisms on the right, especially right now, where they all have this very end times apocalypse like kind of vibe to them. And I worry like with this kind of rhetoric when it doesn't pan out, you know, what is the reaction amongst the individuals? Certainly some of them will burn out or go towards uh, something else. But I feel like there is. I worry about the kind of core of the deeply invested and deeply, you know, energized and like where that energy goes when a storm kind of never arises. Do y'all worry about like, as you said, there hasn't been, you know, yet a sort of mass shooting about um, based on QAnon. But do you sort of worry that like things like the January 6th insurrection are, you know, going to be repeat events because of this community? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, like, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, the my my biggest worry, you know, uh, with uh, with uh, with QAnon was always like what they always said, like, you know, sit and wait, grab your popcorn, enjoy the, you know, you know, uh, mm-hmm. watch basically watch events unfold. The belief was that the military intelligence apparatus, you know, they had everything under control, and all you had to do was post and meme. That's your role. Sit at your computer, post and meme. You don't have to go out into the real world, do anything rash. That was sort of uh, the, the role of QAnon followers. Now, the risk becomes is like what happens when um, QAnon followers stop 
risk, stop uh, having trust in the plan, this great mm-hmm. plan to make the world right in their, their world. Uh, yeah, that might motivate them to, to, you know, seek answers for that. You know, the, the, the offers from the neo-Nazis might become more attractive because they're saying, no, 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 no. You'll, if you want to make real change, right. you don't have to sit your computer. You need to grab a gun. You need to make it happen yourself. Uh-huh. Um, and so, and so, yeah, we, I mean, we could see this as an example of January 6th. So there are lots of people who were, uh, there because they were summoned there by, uh, the president and, uh, they believe that they're taking part in the storm. And one of whom was, uh, was Ashley Babbitt. Uh, mm-hmm. The QAnon promoter who was uh, shot and killed in the Capitol. Mm-hmm. He was a QAnon follower. Very, tra- very tragic. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned the plan thing because I, you know, I listen to like Knowledge Fight and they talk about Alex Jones. And Alex Jones has a weird relationship with QAnon where he like fundamentally agrees with most of their conspiracy side of stuff, but like thinks that they are too invested in thinking there's a plan and thinking that like if they don't get out on the streets and do things, but like even. Um, you know, Jones is still at the point where he's careful enough not to like try to openly incite violence in a way that would cause him to face sort of legal repercussions for that. Uh, do you feel like you see um, discussions about Alex Jones within the QAnon world? Are they like, do they agree with him? Do they have interaction with his stuff at all? Mm-hmm. No, you know, they, they actually do not like Alex Jones at, mm-hmm. at all. Um, they think that a lot, I see a lot of people claim that he is um, a, a, a Mossad plant or something. Yep. Yep. He's aware um, of that, and, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, and so there's, uh, there were an early Q drops uh, uh, back all the way in 2018, which called out um, uh, Patriots, P-A-Y Triots. These, this is basically the sort of the conspiracist word for grifter for someone mm-hmm. who plays upon all these conspiracist tropes not because they are a true believer but because they are know a lot of like a, a, a people who love their country who are willing to go along with with uh whatever they say and so and so uh and so because because there was that very specific call out there was a um, you know, there, there's, there's bad blood between QAnon followers and QAnon promoters and Alex Jones. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, with these kind of folks, there's always going to be schisming because there's so much like narcissism and, and like, and all that kind of energy running around now, you know, looking forward a little bit here before we, we run out of time, what do you feel about, do you feel like there's any chance of a kind of perspective path to reestablishing a shared reality with QAnoners, like this is this seems like it's a fairly large group population. So like classic models of cult deconditioning don't seem very sort of viable. What do you do you see there being any kind of viable path here? Or are you just kind of like, we're just gonna have to watch this play out? Um, you know, I mean, I have to say, um, my my hopes over the past few years have dimmed. I mean, this is as I watched it get worse and worse. I mean, if if you know three years ago, if you told me, oh, QAnon is going to get so bad, they're going to be QAnon members of Congress. QAnon mm-hmm. is going to get so bad, uh, there are going to be multiple stories of QAnon followers uh, killing people. QAnon mm-hmm. is going to get so bad that it'll be it will help fuel in uh, an insurrection for uh, the help to a futile attempt to try and get uh, Donald Trump stay in office. I'd be like, oh, oh that all sounds like a worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, the, um, so yeah, I, I have to say, I mean, I 
<laughs> right. I wish, I mean, I, I wish I had some sort of like optimistic words for you, but I don't know mm. after years and years of watching things just get worse and worse and the sort of the people who do have a great deal of influence who the kinds mm-hmm. of people who could make a dent in this kinds of thing. And I'm talking about um, like social media companies work ex- extremely slow to react to um, the problem of QAnon. And they didn't mm-hmm. really, uh, they didn't really sort of um, recognize that this wasn't just a bunch of people promoting conspiracy theories. This is an extremist movement, which violates their policies on promoting extremism on their platforms you know mm-hmm. no you know, i as we can we can talk more broadly about the implications of having these giant social media companies sort of decide the sort of the the boundaries was acceptable to talk in a mainstream way but um but yeah, i don't know i don't think there's any value to having like isis you know spread their propaganda on twitter or something um and so and so mm-hmm. they were very slow to react and um and also like politicians were really really slow to react and the, the media i felt like they they didn't really take it seriously as a growing extremist problem mm-hmm. i don't know yeah so i don't know i feel like uh, the the witnessing QAnon grow as much as it has and witnessing institutions and powerful influential people not take the kinds of action that might have effectively uh stemmed QAnon. i mean i even thought that uh, this makes this is naive in retrospect i thought even the republican party would like you know push back harder against QAnon than it has mm-hmm. i thought that thought that i was like no surely surely they um they would don't want to want these kinds of loons to be part of their caucus but uh, at this point they're now minority at the federal level they can't stand to alienate a single vote so they they, they they aren't doing a whole lot to sort of uh dissuade QAnon followers from um being part of their movement yeah. And so this internet moderation things actually that you bring up, one of the questions I had, right? If we can't deprogram these people, what is the are there any tools at our disposal that are like viable for at least stemming the spread of QAnon and QAnon like conspiracies? Are you and this is like an argument that I am often having with like free speech folks who will say sunlight is the best disinfectant. And I think like sunlight probably doesn't kill Ebola. And I think QAnon is basically Ebola. Do you feel like we should be banning more people from social media or like, you know, we banned Alex Jones. Should we be banning anybody who's promoting anything that sounds like QAnon from Twitter? Um, and if, if we are like, should we then be considering like you, you mentioned that the Great Replacement, for example, is a much more dangerous conspiracy, and I'm sympathetic to that idea. Should we be banning people like James Lindsay who promote Great Replacement conspiracy theories? Yeah, I mean, this is this is not again a, in 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 a easy easy question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I go back and forth on, on this a lot because because. Uh, for a few different reasons. I mean, number one, I mean, when I grew up, grew up sort of on message boards, user uh, BBSs, sort of used net groups, whatever, in the 90s, early 2000s, the rule was always like the mods were gods. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I would, I, I, I've been banned from a couple sort of online platforms for arbitrary reasons. And, you know, the lesson there was like, you know, whatever you find another you live you move on you you uh it's not that big of a deal sometimes a, a mod or an admin has a bad day sometimes you're just acting like a troll you deserve it whatever mm-hmm. um but uh but you know th- things are think the, the the equation is so different now because now like i like i mentioned uh because of network effects the um 
these these powerful social media companies effectively have the ability to determine the boundaries of acceptable mainstream discourse. Mm-hmm. And I think that that could conceivably be used in in an ethical way. Uh, you know, it's like, like I said, I don't think I don't think. I don't think, uh, you know, neo-Nazi propaganda. I don't think, you know, ISIS propaganda. Uh, I don't think those have any, uh, I don't think those should be amplified. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think there's any value to um, having uh, those kinds of ideas um, um, uh, being promoted uh, far and wide. But at the mm-hmm. same time, do I really trust Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey to be the the final arbiters of what the nation is uh, talking about? And sort of the, uh, you know, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. Honestly, I think that from a pure, if we're approaching it from a purely sort of like consequentialist kind of perspective, then the crackdown on QAnon on mainstream social media platforms it was a net positive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good that Patriot Soapbox can't stream on YouTube anymore. You know, it's good that you know Joe M isn't you know with his hundreds of thousands of followers isn't on Twitter anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are these are garbage ideas. They hurt people and they help nobody. Mm-hmm. And so and so and so. Uh, so I can't deny that these are good things. Now, of course, the, the, uh, there's the, course, the, the slippery slope problem. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, this is like, you know, once you sort of grant these, these uh, billion dollar institutions that level of power, how are they going to use it next? And of course, there was a recent controversy in which Facebook uh, banned some uh, researchers, some into who are looking, at, who are looking into uh, the role that the platform played in the uh, uh, sort of planning January 6th. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, so there's, so I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And of course there's like, even if you determine, um, you know, no, these, these corporations, should not have that level of power. Well, what's the next solution? Uh, sort of having, is it government regulation? Then all of a sudden now we have the government determining the acceptable boundaries of free speech on the mainstream sort of uh, way. And that sounds like a, mm-hmm. uh, a, a cure worse than the disease. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend that I have uh, solutions to these thorny problems, but my, mm-hmm. my main solution is uh, get rid of Twitter and Facebook. Uh, that, that, that's it. Just burn it all <laughs> Roll back social that's media all entirely. Got. Yeah, right. I mean, it's hard, right? Like, even if you were in favor of moderation and even if you wanted to expand it beyond, like, ISIS and, and stuff, what do you do about the fact that, that you could make a good case that the GOP itself is, like, a Christian white nationalist organization at this point that is, like, laundering a variety of Christian, like basically laundering great replacement stuff into their immigration policy through folks like Stephen Miller. Like, how do you, you can't kick them all off, right? You can't kick half the population off of social media. So like, it may be the reality is, you know, it's a problem where we're going to have to fix it at a different point. And like any attempts to ban people are just going to be stop gaps in the meantime or something. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's no denying that that sort of like the content moderation is really a Band-Aid solution to the problem of extremism, because mm-hmm. like it obviously is obviously it doesn't affect uh, the problem, the the problems that there are so many true believers and may, you know, stop people from spreading messages that in the end uh hurt people and help nobody mm-hmm. but but uh, that just again that just slows the problem it doesn't stop it entirely you know, i think you're right i mean we need to if you really if we want to address the problem of extremism then you really need to look beyond the sort of like social what social media can do and mm-hmm. look into why uh 
why there are so, so many people who just want to burn it all down so badly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. One more question and then we'll get to the enlightening round for folks who want to learn more about this stuff. Are there particular resources that you would recommend besides your co-host uh, Rothschild's book, which is a very good book and people should absolutely check it out. Um, yeah. But like uh, he's, he's, he's not my co-host. He is oh. actually uh, Mike Rothschild. He is, he's actually, he actually has been studying QAnon longer than I have. Oh, I apologize. I thought he was a, he's a frequent guest or something like that. Yeah. He's a, yeah, he's a frequent guest, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. Mike Rothschild, he's, he's great. Yeah, he is, he, his book is uh, the storm is upon us. Um, you know, there are actually there are a couple other books I would really highly recommend if you want to get a handle on conspiracism. Uh, one of them is called The Nature of Conspiracy Theories by Michael Butter. Mm-hmm. And it's what I call an advanced introduction to conspiracism. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a short book, but it's very dense. And it covers topics in, like such as the ways in which conspiracists argue. And it traces sort of the, hi- the history of conspiracism from like the Napoleonic era and the sort of the Illuminati conspiracy theories, Freemason conspiracy theories, these sorts of ideas. Mm-hmm. And he has this really provocative thesis, which is that um, up until about the 1950s, uh, the Western world regarded conspiracy theories as a legitimate legitimate form of knowledge mm-hmm. and so it was really sort of normal and it was only after world war ii that that conspiracism was kind of a de- delegitimized sort of lower form of knowledge mm-hmm. and um therefore conspiracism was sort of banished from more mainstream public discourse and was became sort of a more of a, a subculture kind of thing which was sort of an interesting perspective because a lot of people yeah they like to pretend as if we live in a unusually conspiratorial time when i don't know mm-hmm. if you really look at the tape that's not necessarily the case um, no I, I do think we are experiencing a particular kind of resurgence of conspiracism but i do think that's a, a really interesting uh that does track with a lot of what i've read about sort of the history of conspiracism and politics that it was very commonplace um in the like uh 18 and 1900s as well yeah, definitely. There's there's also, um, I also recommend another book. It's called uh, Voodoo Histories, The Role of the Conspiracy Theory in Shaping Modern History by David Aronovich. And mm-hmm. um, this is a, this is sort of like, it takes, it takes you through a lot of uh, 20th century conspiracy theories, uh, such as the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, or the conspiracy theory that uh, the U.S. government knew about the attacks on Pearl Harbor um, mm-hmm. ahead of time. And um also, it talks about uh, uh, Stalinist conspiracy theories, the belief that, you know, everyone Stalin didn't like was secretly conspiracy, uh, was, was secretly conspiring with fascists. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and um, it, it sort of talks, it sort of does, does a debunking and it sort of talks about the ways in which these conspiracy theories formed, but also the way that they resonated throughout the culture and sort of they had mm-hmm. a real impact on the way history is formed and which is really interesting because we often think about conspiracism as a fringe thing that doesn't have much of an impact on the course of history when Mm -hmm. you know if you look at this book i think it it makes the case that these course conspiratorial ideas are much more influential than we uh, often give them credit for so those two books are really really great those sound great great suggestions i'm looking forward to checking them out and it makes me feel bad that i now unfortunately have to torture you so this is the enlightening round Enlightenment comes from within. Oh dear. So for folks who are not familiar, I'm going to give you a list of things. You are going to tell me, are these things real or not real? Those are your only choices. You don't get to explain what real means. You don't get to hedge. It's just real or not real. Are you ready? All right. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So just to check, first of all, prime the pump here. Is anything 
real? Yes. Okay, great. So let's find out what's real. Is the external world real or not real? Real. Colors, real or not real? <laughs> the faces. Oh, come on. You can't I can't hedge on this one. Oh, it gets um, much worse than this, buddy. <laughs> colors. Um not real. Okay. Phenomenal consciousness. Real. Okay. Free will. Not real. <laughs> Selves or persons. <sighs> <laughs> It's funny. I was reading a book about this just recently. Uh, um, real or not real? <laughs> um, I wish I could turn the video on. This is pretty good. Is yeah, really. I was sorry. Uh, um, uh, not real. Not real. Okay. Genders. Yeah. Uh, Come on, lightning round. All right. Fine. Uh, yeah, you know, I fuck. I, that's, <laughs> this is quite an impressive breakdown. Genders, real or not real? Uh, you know, this is this is this is awful. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say not real. Races, Wait, real or not real? Hmm. Uh. Not real. Okay. Species. <sighs> real. Morality. Mm. <laughs> Yo, see, this is this is bullshit. I have to say, um, real. <laughs> Rights. Real knowledge real god or gods not real society real <laughs> money real i feel so bad i think i broke travis numbers yes, yes. <laughs> oh that's that that's 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 a tough one <laughs> not real Fictional characters. Not real. Holes, like a hole in the ground. <laughs> Still there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, now you're just doing Zen cones. Yep. Um, real. <laughs> Chairs. Real. <laughs> Sandwiches. Real. Science. Real. Natural laws. <sighs> he regrets. Real. The regret is real. Beauty. Not real. You're so close. You're almost there. Love. <laughs> um, not real. Okay. Causality. Real. And finally, time. Not real. Okay. You survived. How do you feel? Yeah, I guess. This is, you know. 
you take you take you take you take you take these topics that are who who is a uh, whose nature is usually sort of explicated like you know like mm-hmm. hundreds of pages in these nuanced ways mm-hmm. flatten them yeah right mm-hmm. torturous don't like that at all no <laughs> thank, you. thank you thank you for having me it was it was deliberately uh developed to torture philosophers so i appreciate that yeah. you um, enjoyed my pain amplifier so much. Um, well, this has been fun, Travis. I really appreciate it. And you will be happy to know the audience loves it when people squirm. So you, you, you did a good performance there, and I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> do you want to let folks know where they can find your work one more time? Twitter sure, handle, such sure. things. Yes, yeah. You can you could find me at uh, Travis underscore view. And if you all want, if you, were, if you want me to elaborate on any of the answers I just got. Just the answer is no, no. Um, and, um, and if you want to listen to my podcast, you can find that at Q Anon Anonymous. You can find that on uh, any podcasting app. Great. Well, thanks so much, Travis. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Aaron. Thank you so much. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks, as always, to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. Thanks to our top-tier patrons, Lawrence Shielding, Dude, Fix the Vote, Need More Camus, and other fossil Vega-driving philosophers. Uh, Cormot Orkman on Twitch, Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, and our archduke level patrons big easy blasphemy super creepy void eyes and dave maslich if you'd like to support the show please check out my other show philosophers in space you could even subscribe to both and leave them a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app you can also follow me on twitter at etv pod and if you notice a small void growing within you consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and our bonus ETV reading group content. Most of all, wherever you are right now, you are the void, and the void is you. 